Brooklyn is everything. Home to icons, bar racers, and startups who are just getting started. And home to great healthcare. New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital. Stay Brooklyn. Stay amazing. By now, you've probably seen ads about the water contamination at Camp Lejeune everywhere. People who got sick after drinking that toxic water are now able to seek repayment for their medical costs because of a new law, the PACT Act. What those other ads don't tell you is that because the PACT Act is a fresh law, it's important to find an attorney who understands the new claims forms. There is a limited time to file your Camp Lejeune claim, so you need a lawyer who can get it right the first time. The experienced team of attorneys at SickMarine.com is ready to file your claim. They will fight for you, and they won't take no for an answer. Sign up at SickMarine.com. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast i am your host lance sanderson and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague he is mile high huddle senior nfl draft analyst the one and only eric trickle eric dude it's been dead as far as broncos news is concerned there was a report about randy gregory missing the first probably week or so of um of training camp as he's still recovering from arthroscopic shoulder surgery earlier in this offseason which kind of led to some speculation on bradley chubb's you know, at impact for uh, the beginning of this offseason. It also trickled down to like Malik Reed and um, Nick Benito, Jonathan Cooper and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's been pretty dead over the last couple of days, aside from the uh, ESPN top tens and stuff like that. I haven't seen anything regarding any new Broncos, but dude, how are you hanging up in there? I am doing all right. I'm extremely tired. Um, <laughs> it's been a long week. Weather's been terrible up here and typically when the weather's bad like this, I don't sleep very well. Um, so I'm tired, but I mean, you're right. It's the dead time of the season. There's not much going on. There's the stuff with Randy Gregory. He's going to be held back and limited during preseason training camp. Supposedly his shoulder's good to go. They just want to give him an extra little bit of time. So like, I don't know. That's not that big of a deal to me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's dead. <laughs> Always is about this time. Like the last two, three weeks before training camp is when it is the deadest of the dead in for NFL offseason. Yeah, I mean, there's no press conferences. There's a, It's a lot of speculation. I mean, last week we had um, the, the top 10 article with uh, Pat Sertan came out and, and whatnot. Uh, it, and it's, it's fun to go through the lists and everything, but those are all kind of done now. So we've got to kind of just float our way through. I did find a couple of decent articles. We're going to kind of break down for you guys today, talking about, um, some boomer bust players for the Broncos. Apparently football outsiders did an article from Mike Tanier the other day that, uh, Bob Morris broke down on milehighhuddle.com. So make sure you guys go and check that out. If you get the opportunity to, um, highlighting some boomer bust players on, uh, potential contenders, guys that are like, uh, projected as starters and whatnot. Um, so we're going to take a look at that really fast. Give us uh, another couple of ideas as well. And then about a month ago, I saw an article from um, John Heath over on broncoswire.com uh, talking about five potential trade candidates that the Broncos could see move on for uh, potential future draft picks for this team. We all know, obviously, the Russell Wilson trade took away the Broncos' first and second round picks next year as well in 2023. So they need to figure out a way to accumulate some more draft capital. There's a couple of players on the lower end of this roster that still have some value to them um even a couple of starters or guys that played starter reps this last season um in Malik Reed Dalton Reiser we'll break all of that down maybe give another couple of that but before we get started guys gotta say hello to everybody in the chat Kenny Booker jumping in the house KB what's up my dude he says what's up fellas how many yards and touchdowns do Javante and Melvin combine for I'm saying 2215 TDs Man, that would be a great number to start off with. Honestly, getting the running game going in this offense would be absolutely fantastic. We've got uh, Phil McLaughlin jumping in saying hello. Uh, good evening, Eric, Lance, and Scott. Hashtag let's ride. Uh, we've got uh, Dale Fleming in the house, uh, Jeff Noyes as well. Kathy Lund showing her face once again. Great to see you again, Kathy. She says, uh, good afternoon, fam. Howdy, Lance and Eric. Good afternoon, Kathy. Wonderful for you to join us here today. And on, we've got Scott behind the scenes running the ones and twos. Uh, Dylan Von Ark's in the house uh, trying to moderate the chat and whatnot. It's it's great to see everybody in here today. Uh, kind of slow to start this this whatnot. It's it, honestly, again, it's the, it's the uh, 
the dead time of the season. So we'll kind of make do with what we've got here, but we appreciate everybody for joining us here on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can find us on Twitter by following me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle and for Scott at Scout Kennedy. And also guys, while you're at it, please follow at Mile High Huddle on Twitter as well. That is the mother account where you guys will find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos. We've got a Manscaped read. That's absolutely correct. Uh, Eric, do you have that pulled up right now? Can you get started on that one? Yeah, so is your, you know, discomfort in the area hurting your game? Fear no more. The kings of that area comfort. Manscaped, they have spent two years designing the most com comfortable boxer briefs out there. They're sleek, soft, comfortable, and flexible. The brand new boxers 2.0 for Manscaped. Take your family jewels to the royal throne. The global leaders in below-the-waist grooming have the lawnmower 4.0 for trimming so you can wear the boxers for chilling. They even trademarked the jewel pouch so you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your family jewels. So let your area breathe and get 20% off free sh plus free shipping using our code, which I believe is MHH. Um, can't remember for sure. So you guys can go check that out. I have the first version of these boxes. I think they're absolutely great. They're super comfortable. They're super soft. They're super breathable. Um, extremely comfortable. And I'm excited to get and try out how the to boxers 2.0 feel yeah man uh, the the very first ones the first boxers were absolutely fantastic they don't ride up they do a great job of sitting firmly on your thighs and they're they're just incredibly comfortable it, so it's a micro model fabric it's buttery soft it's breathable keeping everything downstairs nice and cool you can walk you can run you can strut uh they're moisture wicking so they breathe without breaking a sweat They've got a tagless waistband. So it hugs your body without digging in. It lays flat against your skin to reduce any chafing. Um, the front fly opens and gives easy access, making bathroom breaks quick and efficient. And there's multiple entryways for passages and stuff like that for everything downstairs. You guys can even choose from an arrangement of designs and colors and size ranges from small to triple XL for all of my guys out there. From El Jefe to Nighthawk, your boys will be in the right hands. So be proud of your underwear, guys. Wear the Manscaped waistband with a badge of honor. Your guys downstairs deserve it. And with that, guys, get 20% off and free shipping with our code MHH at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code MHH at Manscaped.com. Up your uh, up your trousers games, boys. Like, seriously, it's so nice to be able to walk around and not have chafing and stuff like that going on, not getting sweaty, nasty, and uh, displeasant down, downstairs. All right, guys. With that, Bob Morris at milehighhuddle.com did a really good job breaking down uh, a piece about uh, Mike Tanier and his all boom or bust team he did essentially a, a one starter at every single position. And the one that really jumped out to me uh, that was regarding the Denver Broncos was defensive lineman DJ Jones, free agent acquisition this past offseason, three years, $30 million contract uh, projected to, to be that starting nose tackle for this defense. Now, Eric, I know that you've broken down DJ Jones a lot more than I have, and I understand that there's not necessarily a whole lot of upside in terms of the uh, pass rush productivity from DJ Jones. Why is it that Mike Tanier thinks that DJ Jones is this big boomer bust player for this Broncos defense? Well, I think part of it reading through it is that um, the, the question is that seemed to be was where would DJ Jones play? Mm -hmm. From reading over it real quick, it seemed to be pointing, talking about covering that Shelby Harris role. And based off of what has been said and what little has come out, doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. And if you're putting him out in the Shelby Harris role, I think that calling, considering him a boomer bust, a boomer bust player is fair because it's not something that he's really done before. It's a different role. It's a different jo job, so to speak, what he's going to be doing in a new defense. Whereas if he's playing inside, playing zero one, maybe a two eye technique, it, that's closer to what he's done in San Francisco. We've seen it. And Colin Boomer Bust, I don't think, would be that great outside of, you know, or is that fair outside of the aspect? Like, he was a big contract player that was kind of part of a deep rotation on the San Francisco 49ers line that doesn't have that benefit here in Denver. So it, it just seems to be like, again, that he's calling him a Boomer Bust more so because of this belief that he's going to be taking over Shelby Harris's spot as a four-eye technique instead of playing farther inside being the big man in the middle, the run defender. And I'm sure he'll slide out every now and then. I'm just not expecting it to be a large part of his um, role here in Denver. 
I'm I'm with you on that one. And Colby jumping in here saying, hey, guys, keep up the good work. And Colby, thank you for joining us. We appreciate the, the shout out here and uh, the, the wonderful stars donation. We appreciate you, man. Um, I'm with you on this, Eric. Like, honestly, I don't see DJ Jones playing that three to five tech defensive end. I see him lining up zero one to maybe two I, maybe a, a two technique lining up over the guard um, because he's got that length and that strength to play and two gap over the guard if you want him to. But the, the penetration ability of him being able to to knife through that one gap or through that A gap, playing the one technique and the zero technique, I think that that's probably the better role for him. I, I'm very curious, though, because going back, and I'd have to go back and watch his tape back at San Francisco, but there's a lot of hype going around through Denver media, um, some some other people over on like 104.3 The Fan, um, some other different websites so you can get some Broncos content. Don't go there. Stay here at Mile High Huddle. But, Eric, I want your opinion on this. What kind of upside does DJ Jones potentially bring as a pass rusher? Because there's a lot of speculation here going to say that he's going to help out like a Draymond Jones and uh, a Bradley Chubb, Randy Gregory, as a, a guy that can play that four technique, um, line up over the guard and or just the inside shade of the uh, of the tackle. Is, is that a potential possibility for him to kind of have an outbreak season as a pass rusher? I don't – so I don't think that he offers up a lot as a – like a pure pass rusher, but he offers up a lot to help out the others because of the fact that if you do give him up one-on-one, he's got enough quickness. He's got enough strength to move guards, get by guards or centers and put some pressure on the quarterback on the inside. So you kind of have to give him a little bit of extra attention. It's not a guy that you can just shrug off like Mike Purcell. You don't have to really worry about Mike Purcell as a pass rusher because he's not that good. Chris Hernandez came in with some stars real quick. We appreciate that, Chris. Thank you for your support and everybody else's. So I don't think like it's not like he's another pass rusher on the interior defensive line, but he's a guy that can help others out in that in that area, eating up space, eating up room and potentially making them pay for it. Because one thing he did in San Francisco did very quite well is when offensive lines did kind of like shrug him off. He made them pay for it. And Russell Wilson was on the receiving end of that a couple of times. So it's got to it's this kind of helped balance out this, the defensive line a little bit. Um, again, I think it's going to be more so coming, trying to shoot the, the a gap on either side of the center straight up on the center. I think that's again, where it's going to be most of the time for it. So it's not with Shelby Harris. You're seeing him as a pass rusher way out on the outside. And he kind of struggled with that. And I think DJ Jones will struggle farther outside as he gets. I mean, his arm length, he was only 32 and a half inch arms, which is 25th percentile for interior defensive linemen, which okay. isn't great. And that's going to be a concern when you're going up against guys who, yeah, they have shorter arms, but they're kind of have a little bit more of an advantage when it comes to lacking that length than you do as a defensive lineman. That's a fair point. And quite honestly, I, I didn't really think about that. And just getting him the further away from the ball, you, you want more length. You want that ability to kind of get guys spread away from you. Like if you're lined up directly on the ball, you can get kind of compact, use that upper body strength. Even if you have shorter arms, you can still kind of win with the, the first step explosiveness, the hand placement and stuff like that. So that's a really good point. I want to bounce this one off of you as well, because everyone, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. DJ Jones doesn't necessarily represent a, a big threat to the lower level guys on the roster. It's more specifically to a guy like a Mike Purcell, who is, again, very limited, that zero one two technique, uh, a guy that's going to play as a nose tackle specifically. But I want to get your opinion here on what does this signing potentially mean for a guy like McTelvin Ajim, who we just haven't got a chance to really see. When he does get on the field, he plays – incredibly well as a as a pass rusher like there's a very good opportunity for him to play a, a three technique or maybe even slide down to that two eye technique and play that interior defensive pass rushing role on this defensive line what does dj jones present as far as an obstacle to seeing that growth from mctelvin and Jim, who the broncos just spent a third round pick on just three seasons ago none they're completely different positions on the defensive okay. line um, McTelvin Ajim, that's a guy that you're actually looking at being that 4-I-5 technique on the right. defensive front. He's not a guy that you really want to move in. You can in certain pass rushing situations um, just because he has already shown that he is a capable pass rusher, though it's been an unlimited um, amount of reps. But he's not a guy that you're going to be putting placing there consistently. DJ Jones isn't a guy that you want to place outside consistently. Right. So it's completely two different things. It's almost like talking about Mike Purcell and Draymond Jones in a way. Right. Okay. Um, of how those two would impact each other, and it's they don't really impact each other with the developmental aspect of it. Um, Uazarike, right, um, 
Matt Henningsen, um, those guys, they can have more of an impact on McTelvin Ajim and his potential development or their own pen potential development because they're all they all do play that same kind of role, that same similar position in this defense. So they're more likely to have the impact on that. But McDelvin Ajim seems to be – I mean, th th there's no doubt that this is the make-or-break year for him. The biggest issue that he has had so far, and it wasn't even an issue in college, was his run defense. And that mm -hmm. was a reason why he ended up in the doghouse of Vic Fangio. He just was not a capable run defender. He was consistently pushed out of the way. I mean, it was almost as bad as Malik Reed. And as good as he was as a pass rusher – there were a few times last year where the where the offense seemed to be, can't say for sure. I don't know the calls. Seemed to be in a getting ready for a passing play, and they would make an adjustment and they would run it straight at um, McTelvin Jim. We saw that multiple times with them do that against Malik Reed too, because that there the tape was there that they had the advantage. They exploited it. So if McTelvin Jim's going to step up and be a starter on this defense or even have a large role, it's what he can do, what he can show, and as a run defender during preseason training camp and DJ Jones honestly could actually help him with that regard by eating up more space, taking on more blockers because he is such a strong and physical run defender that it can make life a little bit easier for McDelvin Ajim. That's a pretty fair point. Now, again, going to another player on that interior defensive line, and this also affects with the Mike Purcell conversation, a guy that I know you really like playing that zero one two technique um, in Deshaun Williams is Deshaun Williams kind of the guy that gets a little bit of a, a lesser role here because of the, the presence of DJ Jones? Um, I mean, it's definitely possible. I've, I've been adamant about this throughout the whole thing. I think Mike Purcell's on his way out. Yes. So I think it's DJ Jones, then Deshaun Williams. And that's really the role for Deshaun Williams is being that second nose tackle that steps in if you want to give the first guy a breather or certain looks. Because as much as I think that I like um, DJ Williams playing from a zero to a two technique, he can slip out a little bit farther and play those other roles, mm -hmm. um, play that three technique, that four eye, that five technique. Um, so I, I I like that aspect of it. And DJ Jones, again, he kind of has that impact on it for the inside, but you still have that versatility to play out the outside with Deshaun Williams. So it's just a matter of, I think he'd still get his snaps either way. It's just would come from a more, um, more movement along the defensive line from different uh, techniques. Right. Uh, to pile onto this question, Jody Moncrief jumping in here with a quick question. What happens if Denver keeps Mike Purcell? If Denver keeps Mike Purcell, then I think that it's a definite sign that you're they're going to go super big with their defense. They're, I'm, and it's fitting with the issues that they had against the run last year that they want to go bigger. DJ Jones is going to be playing that four eye technique, that three technique. Mike Jones is going to be that zero one technique and then Draymond Jones. They're going to want to eat up a lot of space against the run and help e make life easier for the linebackers and edges. It's definitely possible. However, I don't think it happens. I think the age and performance of Mike Purcell is going against them, as well as the cost. And people need to remember is that Denver is at this point where they have to be considerate of the cost of how much cost is on the cap, how much free space they have on the cap this year so they can roll it over next year when they will have to give Russell Wilson a huge extension where they have these other big free agents that they will have to give extensions to. So that's something to keep in mind. And that is the biggest reason why I don't think Mike Purcell makes this roster is because the cost just isn't there and he's declined. I mean, he had that great year two years ago, but mm -hmm. last year or three years, whenever it was, but he's just taken gotten worse since then. And last year especially was really troublesome and problematic for the defense because he just would consistently shoot a gap when he was being asked to two gap and just leave a huge open space and the linebackers after Josie Jewel and Alexander Johnson weren't able to make up for it and it just led to Denver being consistently gashed the Cleveland Browns game is absolute like perfect film to highlight what I'm saying here Oh, you're absolutely correct on that one. Um, even even against Baltimore, Mike Purcell didn't play very well against that running game, and which is crazy to say because they only they only allowed 104 rushing yards, but Mike Purcell was a liability on that run defense against against Baltimore last season. It's just so fun to be able to talk about this defensive line. And we've got a, a guy in here saying we're worried about the defensive line. Uh, Andrew Hopkins. It's actually a new name for me. Uh, and Andrew, thank you for joining us. Uh, the D line is what we're worried about. Not really. 
It's not that we're, well, we're, we're kind of breaking down just the, the multiplicity of the players that the Broncos currently have right now. And it's breaking down a, a boomer bust article that Mike Tanier wrote on footballoutsiders.com where DJ Jones was listed as that guy. So we're kind of breaking down just a little bit of what this defensive line could potentially look like. So, to me, getting Mike Purcell out of the way, you have now created even a little bit more versatility, even with a DJ Jones, who you want to play as that nose tackle, maybe even as far outside as like a three technique, maybe four eye, but still three technique. Um, so to me, like there's so many different ways to break down how this front could look like. And like he says, he says here in another comment, the three, four is dead in Denver. I don't necessarily fully agree with that, but I see where you're coming from. It is going to be a lot of more four down linemen with the sub package, getting another cornerback or a safety onto the field. How does this defensive line come together where like, what are the defined roles that we're going to see with every player that we have? That's kind of more of the conversation we're having here. Well, and I just want to say is like, there's actually perfectly good reason to be concerned about the defensive line. You have Draymond Jones, who everybody keeps predicting is going to break out. And as he had, despite him having a really good year last year, he hasn't had that breakout year. He hasn't right. emerged as that star as a lot of people were thinking he can be. DJ Jones is a new pickup. It's a new scheme, new team, new players around him. He doesn't have the depth that he had in San Francisco to help, you know, rotate him in and out. How much is that going to be impact his game? Then what do you have? You have McTelvin Ajim, who in limited reps showed really good as a pass rusher, terrible as a run defender. You have a rookie and a rookie. And you have Jonathan Harris, who has barely played. It's you don't have any depth on the defensive line outside of mm -hmm. potential depth and projection, um, and that is concerning. Oh, and D and Deshaun Williams, who's fine. He's a fine depth piece. Yep. And then um, with the three four four three, I mean that's just semantics. But I would bet that the most look we get here is two defensive linemen with their hand in the dirt, two edge rushers, and two linebackers. Like yeah. call that whatever you want to call it. Like. How are you classifying those edges? Some people will call it a four, call it a four-two. Other teams, other people will call it three-three. To me, it's more of a, it's more of a four-two-five kind of look. But it's just semantics. It doesn't matter. Four-three and three-four. They're really outdated and essentially dead. Um, but the defensive line, like talking about DJ Jones and being a boomer bust, going back to this topic a little bit. Um, like that's where the conversation more so is. And the thing is, is with, again, going back to being concerned about this defensive line is the lack of depth is concerning because that does play an aspect into if DJ Jones is a boom or bust player or not. Mm -hmm. Well, and another thing is how does this pass rush come to form? Like you, you've got, you bring in DJ Jones to be that, that nose tackle run defender and whatnot. How does the interior pass rush perform? What is the? How does that accentuate to to the edges or to maybe a, a Draymond Jones, who, by the way, is going into year four of his season? He's entering a contract season. We still haven't seen him actually have that breakout that breakout season to be a fully dominant player that the Broncos need to have for this defensive line. Like they need to have a, another guy that can not only stop the run but also get after the passer. And we know that Draymond Jones has the ability to do that. We think that McTelvin Ajim has the ability to do that. We think that uh, uh, Enyomo Olazarike has the ability to do that. But you've got to have that interior pass rush presence. Like, look at some of the, the best players on the defensive side of the football over the past, what, five or six seasons. Aaron Donald definitely comes to mind. Chris Jones is another guy. Jeffrey Simmons. Those guys all play inside the tackle as interior pass rushers that can all stop the run. This is a big question mark for this Broncos defense, who was absolutely terrible, not only against the run last season, but in terms of generating pass pressure after Von Miller left. Like Von Miller, when he left, he still finished with the third most pressures of any Broncos pass rusher on the entire roster, and he wasn't even a part of the team. Like there's definitely yeah. a, a very big issue with this Broncos defensive line. So yes, there is a concern here, and having DJ Jones as that guy that we need to really kind of have a full-blown conversation about what his role is potentially going to be on this team there's there's a long ways uh, of going about this conversation. And it's so much fun because, like I said last week, it's speculative. We're, it's subjective. We're, there's no objective answer to this because we don't know what's going to happen, how this team's going to shake out because we've got a new defensive coordinator to throw into the mix as well. So that's the big overarching aspect of this conversation. And real quick, Andrew says, what makes you think DJ won't be good? I don't think it's either of us are saying DJ no. won't be good. We're just saying that there are concerns about it that could lead to him being good. I think he'll be fine. Do I think he'll be show that he's worth the ten million a year that he got for being a nose tackle? 
not really. But I mean, there was a targeted need that they wanted to fix their run defense. So that's it's fine in my book. And then he comes in and says, Josie Jewell was great in 4-3, bad in the 3-4. Um, At no, no point in his time in Denver have they been in a 4-3 front. Their base defense has all been out of a 3-4. Um, and he's consistently been either the weak inside linebacker or the strong inside linebacker. Um, he's never been in a 4-3. Yeah. Andrew, it, it, this is, uh, I think this is your first time on our show. Please don't take it as we're coming, coming after you, man. Like this is a great conversation and you're, you're bringing yeah. us good astute points and we're, we're just trying to have a, a good talk. So please don't think that we're coming at you, man. Like this is, this is absolutely great um, to help us fill up a show and have a great conversation and about this Broncos team. Um, kind of on that, this comment here kind of goes into this a little bit. So yeah, Chubb zero sacks, Judy zero touchdowns, KJ zero touchdowns. These players are in my doghouse since last year after having dreadful seasons. They need to bring it 100% this year. Um, I don't disagree at all that they need to bring it 100%. Like, no disagreement here. Um, but I think each of them has a little bit of a, uh, um, you know, caveat with the aspect of them being in the doghouse last year. KJ Hamler, I mean, the offense was far more effective before he got hurt against the New York mm -hmm. Jets than afterwards, and he was out for the season. Like he played, he didn't even finish three games before he got hurt. Jerry Judy, he got hurt in what game two? Was no, the game, game that one? He went down it, it, it was the third quarter of the first game against the yeah. uh, against the Giants. He had seven catches for seventy yards in that game. By the way, the guys like Jerry Judy and then was he missed, tearing it up. He and then he games. missed eight games. So that played. And then when he came back, he was just used as a decoy on jet sweeps. And then Chubb played in one game, missed a bunch of the rest, of the bunch of it, and then came back and after he was back, I mean, it was disappointing. So it was a, um, I mean, they need to step up and they, there's no doubt they need to be 100%. But I mean, each one of them dealt with injuries. Each one of them dealt with the aspect of, in the case of Judy being used extremely incorrectly. So, I mean, there, there's more to it for it, for that. And, um, it says, hopefully little KJ can stay on the field with the big boys this season and not end up on IR after week six. Um, definitely. And that was one concern about KJ Hamler coming out was with him as small as he is, mm -hmm. how could he hold up to the NFL level? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, that that play that he tore his ACL, and and I didn't realize this until just a couple of weeks ago, he dislocated his hip on that same play. So he had his hip pop out, and he tore his ACL. And I think there was some LCL damage in there as well. Like It was a very severe injury. And to see him being able to come back and immediately have an impact on the first team offense, yes, it's OTAs. And yes, it's 75% speed like you're not actually running hard and whatnot but he was out there in otas and actually having a, a pretty big impact he caught a, a bunch of deep passes and stuff like that bringing back that uh, the ability to stretch the field vertically and I, i'm going to continue to go to this i think that this is this offense is going to fit with kj hamler so well because not only do you have the ability to stretch the field vertically with a guy like kj kj hamler with a guy like jerry judy with greg dulcich as well those guys do great jobs taking the top off the defense but they work so well horizontally as well. And to spread the defense out horizontally opens up so many different holes, guys. Like KJ Hamler running a crossing route or a mesh concept. Let's say you get, uh, let's go Jerry Judy on one side, KJ Hamler on the other side. You run a mesh concept with those guys running over the middle of the field. Utilizing that speed is going to open up everything over the middle of the field. And it's going to make safeties bite down. They're going to have to respect that. You can get one-on-one -on -one opportunities on the boundary, which is what Russell Wilson really likes to do is taking the deep shots on the boundary of the field. Getting KJ Hamler back for this offense to me is a is a big piece. Like honestly, I think that KJ Hamler may have a better season than a lot of people are projecting right now because they just don't understand the role that he's potentially going to have in this offense. And you see Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, and Jerry Judy on the field before him. Hamler's impact on this team, and like Eric said, it was so underappreciated last year over the first couple of weeks of the season because of that that just hyperactive speed ability that you just never know what you're going to be able to do with a guy like that and defenses have to respect that on every single play even if they're running the football like there's having speed like that boosts your offense's potential a hundredfold it's the will fuller effect like go back to the houston texans yeah. when they had will fuller and deshaun watson what four or five seasons ago and Will Fuller, when the team was when Will Fuller was on the field, that team averaged like five points more a game and like over a hundred yards more in the passing game alone. And Will Fuller literally was the guy that drove and stirred the drink for that offense. Like that's the role I have for KJ Hamler this year. So 
on the boom and bust conversation, this is one that I'm actually get. Um, I'm glad that Jody brought up. What about Jonas Griffin? Griffin, what is your uh, opinion on him and and being boom or bust? This is such a fun conversation to me because Jonas Griffith last year he he showed a, a special ability that I don't think that people really want to talk about and just his his intellect on the field, his football IQ, and putting himself in the right positions to make plays whether it's in the running game or in the passing game specifically, where I really thought that he shined and was one of the best coverage linebackers over the last five weeks of the season for this Broncos defense. I think that there's a big boom possibility for Jonas Griffith. I think that he could potentially be linebacker one on this defense. He does everything very well, guys. He's not just elite at one thing. He does everything very well. He's like a jack of all trades. He's got enough athleticism to go sideline to sideline in coverage. He reads the play well in front of him, doesn't get caught up by offensive linemen in the wash, and he does a great job, again, of putting himself around the football. When you have a guy like that, it doesn't necessarily matter uh, like the overall – I guess, let me think of how to, to say this. Um, when you have the ability to do everything very well and not one thing at an elite level, there's going to be a role for you no matter where it is, whether it's on defense or on special teams. And I think Jonas Griffith is going to be a killer on special teams if he isn't a starter uh, for the defense. He's going to be a player. There's big time boom potential for him. I don't think there's a lot of bust potential with him. Well, what Scott just posted in the chat was exactly what I was going to say is there's no bust potential with him. Right. He is. was acquired for bait. He was acquired for practically nothing. Like he was undrafted, isn't paid a lot, isn't on a big deal. Like there's really no boost. It's it's only that potential for that boom that he has that he was showing last year. Because what people forget with Jonas with Jonas Griffith is why did Denver trade for him? They just were looking to bolster the special teams. That was it at the time. Mm-hmm. And anything else they got was a bonus. And he came out there and he absolutely put the work in. And obviously, I mean, he's there to help add depth at the linebacker position. But even after they dealt with injuries, they kept turning to all these other linebackers before him. And he went out there, he took the field, and he had, I think, the second best in the time in where he was for the, on the season, the second best showing for a linebacker out there with Josie Jewell being the first. Everybody talks about how good Baron Browning book. Baron Browning, don't get me wrong, looked extremely good at the position. But not as good as those two. Jonas Griffith, I mean, he was a force against the run. And there were times where he got caught in coverage and everything. But he allowed 6.4 yards per reception. I mean, if he allowed a catch, he was right there to make the tackle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he was a little bit late with his reactions. But he has the athleticism and the burst to make up for it, which just, again, consistently stood out, consistently putting himself in the right position. There's just so much to work with. And I love the fact that Denver did bring Josie Jewell back because Josie Jewell. By now, you've probably seen ads about water contamination at Camp Lejeune everywhere on TV, social media, and probably even following you around on the Internet. The water at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune was contaminated with toxic chemicals for more than three decades. It is not rare for people who drank this water for an extended period of time to develop severe illness, including kidney cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, leukemia, liver cancer, bladder cancer, birth defects, Parkinson's, and more. A new law called the PACT Act allows victims of poisoned water to seek repayment for their medical costs. What those other ads don't tell you is that because the PACT Act is a fresh law, it is important to find an attorney who understands the new claims forms. There is limited time to file your Camp Lejeune claim, so you need a lawyer who can get it right the first time. The experienced team of attorneys at SickMarine.com is ready to file your claim. They will fight for you and won't take no for an answer. To file your claim and to have your case prioritized, sign up at SickMarine.com. El sorteo Truck or Treat de 250 mil dólares continúa hasta el 29 de octubre en Empire City Casino. Hasta 625 jugadores afortunados ganarán una parte de más de 250 mil dólares en efectivo y premios, incluyendo una camioneta nueva. Los sorteos serán efectuados el sábado 29 de octubre desde las 6 p.m. hasta las 10 p.m. Un ganador se llevará a casa un Chevy Silverado nuevo, solo en Empire City Casino. Debe tener 18 años de edad o más para jugar juegos de la Lotería de Nueva York. Por favor, juegue con responsabilidad compared to Kenny Young and Alexander Johnson, there's no question about the football IQ Josie Jewell. Has. Yes. Yep. There, if he, if it, if at some point he decides to get, hang it up and wants to become a coach, I think that he can become a really good, if not ex great linebacker coach in the NFL, because he just understands things and sees things at a different level. 
and he's going to be working with Jonas Griffin. And I think it's going to be a really good battle for those two for who ends up the top job. Um, I think both of them, when you are in most, when you do see two linebackers out there, I think it's going to be mostly those two. Um, Alex Singleton, obviously he's playing a role in there. I think he's more for depth and, you know, special teams when, and what was telling about that is when they signed him and when they talked about him in the press conference, they consistently highlighted his play on special teams more than anything on defense, which just screams to me that this is a guy mainly brought in for special teams. Anything else we get out of him is going to be kind of a, a going to be a boost for that. Yeah. So Jonas Griffin, I mean, not much bust potential there. It's just all boom. Um, just because of how little is actually invested into him. Yeah. Lawrence Rivera jumping in here with some stars saying, what's up? What's up, Lawrence? We appreciate you for joining in, man. Uh, yeah, Eric, I, I'm definitely there with you. The, anything you get out of a guy that you bring in for pennies it, on the dollar and you just throw him in there and see what he can do, dealing with the injury to Josie Jewell, the, the lackluster play of Micah Kaiser, of Kenny Young, um, getting him out there with Baron Browning and showing those two guys out there the athleticism and the length that they have. Jonas Griffith carved a niche out for himself on this team. And I think that the, just the growth of him over this next season, I'm super excited for the potential of him. I really am. Um, I just want I gotta, to address this real quick from Dylan Monarchs. I thought Fuller was on the Dolphins. Um, Will, Will Fuller was on the Texans there for a while too. Yeah. I think he went to the Dolphins. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's been bouncing around. But um, what Lance was saying on the aspect of Fuller with KJ Hamler was exactly true. Um, when the Texans had Fuller and he was out there on the field, like their efficiency levels on offense were in the top five. And without him, they were in the bottom three. And yep. well, it wasn't that extreme with KJ Hamler. There was a same kind of drop off when he wasn't on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, EJ jumping in here with a quick question on, uh, can Montreal Washington be a backup to KJ Hamler? Not the same speed, but maybe a good backup slot guy. Uh, I have a breakdown, uh, a film breakdown on Montreal, Washington at milehighhuddle.com. Click on the drop down menu, go to the film uh, section and whatnot. Scroll down a little bit. It's been about a month and a half or so, I think, since that article went live, where I broke down Montreal, Washington and what I found of him at Samford College. I don't think that he's going to be a guy that you're going to see on the offense this season, unless it's specifically in like gadget plays. Because at Samford, they did a really good job of him um, utilizing him on like jet sweeps and stuff like that. They used him out of the backfield. Um, they did a really cool – it was a reverse play that they used specifically in the red zone to vast success uh, in that offense where they would um, run a zone read to one side. He'd peel back off on the backside. They'd pitch it back to him, and then he'd just find a lane into the end zone. He's bursty, and I, I really like his body lean and the ability of him to get his feet outside of his pads and create these sharp angle cuts – but there's just so much that he has to work on is in terms of being a route runner. So if you're going to see him on the offense this season, something drastic happened to Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Well, I guess, and, or one of the two of those guys went down this off season. I think Washington's probably primary role on this team is going to be as a, as a punt returner, but there was a lot to like of his tape. I, I think that there is something to work with here. And that may be a reason why you had a guy like Dwayne Stukes pounding the table for him to, to join this team as a special teams weapon, as a gadget player, because if he grows and reaches that full potential, he could be a, a fairly legitimate slot weapon in, in the NFL. Uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here. What's up, Valley boys and fam? Uh, Russ's Super Bowl year, he had beast mode and a great D. I think we're close to that right now. Hashtag mile high huddle for life. Eric, what do you think about that? Let's call 2013 and 14 because he went to the Super Bowl back-to-back seasons with Beast Mode and the Legion of Boom. Is Denver on par with that right now? On par with that? No. Are they close to that? Yeah. Okay. I mean, as good as Javante Williams can be, he's nowhere near that level as Marshawn Lynch is. And even with having Melvin Gordon in town, them combined still isn't on that level that Marshawn Lynch is. And this defense, they're not on that level. The secondary is not on that Legion of Boom level that they were at, like, they're just not quite there yet, but they have the pieces to go on that. They have the pieces to rely on the run game. And the biggest thing with Russell Wilson is how efficient he is when he has a solid running game to go along with the passing game that he has. And I think that's what Denver will have. That's what um, Seattle had with Marshawn Lynch. Granted, their um, their effectiveness was you know taken to new heights because of how talented the running back was. And Denver could be somewhat close to that and provide that. So. I could see. I'm not sure if they make a Super Bowl run this year. I, th- I definitely think playoffs are it, but still a couple more pieces away. But they're getting really close to that, 
And I just want to go back and grab this question from Jody real quick saying the bust is Denver signed one average linebacker, Josie Jewell, and yet and let Young walk because of Griffith. Um, so Kenny Young was bad. I mean, you can turn on the tape and you can watch him. I mean, he had a couple big exciting tackles against the run. But if you watch him in coverage, you can tell that he's just consistently lost. He's not in place. He doesn't know where he needs to be. And he didn't want to be in Denver for either. I mean, that was quite clear with his initial press conference. Um, Kenny Young was extremely overrated by Bronco fans. And Josie Joel was better. I mean, and it wasn't even close. There's a reason that Kenny Young took so long to sign somewhere because his tape really wasn't that good. His tape with the Rams wasn't even that good. It was just cracked up to be because he filled out a stat sheet, which is impressive in its own in a way, but how it came wasn't. I mean, he feasted off of how good Aaron Donald was. And Denver, I mean, he didn't have Aaron Donald or these other great defenders like Jalen Ramsey to cover up for his mistakes, and he was exposed a lot more often. Um Kenny Young wasn't that great. And then um, EJ says, do you think the Broncos cut Justin Sternod this year? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it does. I think he has practice squad eligibility. So I think you can keep a guy like that around in case of an emergency. Um, somebody goes down, you, you get an injury or something like that in training camp or even early on in the season. Um, Sternod, I like the potential of him because he does have that athleticism and decent coverage ability. But I think that the four guys that the Broncos have at the top of this depth chart are just better than Justin Sternod at this particular point in his career. And that's unfortunate because I like the Sternod pick coming out of Wake Forest a couple of years ago. I do think that he does not make the the 53-man roster, but he would be a guy that I would be interested in bringing back to the practice squad. Um, And EJ says, yeah, he's probably a special teams career player, maybe, and and that's it. Um, I want to go back to this boomer bust conversation because – According to Mike Tanier, the other guy that he has on the Broncos roster that is a boomer bust player is uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, the starting center or projected starting center for this team. It has started the past two seasons uh, at the at the pivot position. He struggled as a rookie, uh, continued a lot through his next year. He was a bottom three center. His his rookie season improved to be a bottom five center. His uh, his sophomore season. And quite honestly, the best case scenario for him to make the roster is an injury. Well, I guess not make the roster. He'll be on the roster for sure. But it, it make the, the starting lineup is an injury. Because I think Graham Glasgow is going to lock that center position up this season. They played very well there um, going back to his time at Michigan, going back to his time at the Detroit Lions. So Cushenberry, to me, boomer bust. I think bust is probably the more appropriate way to describe a player like Lloyd Cushenberry. Eric, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't want to say 100% that he'll make this roster. There's definitely still a chance that Denver trades him. It just really depends on what right. they see out of Luke Wattenberg, but he's cheap enough to where they don't have to move him if he doesn't win the starting job. So I think most likely he's on the roster, just not, I wouldn't say 100%. Right. Um, but, um, honestly, it just starts to seem, it's starting to seem like that he's going to end up starting, um, and he's definitely he's definitely a boomer bust player because he has to take drastic steps forward as a player. Um, I know that it was said in the article that he showed progress as, over the last few seasons or last few games of last season. Um, I've gone back and watched them, and no, like I, I don't see it. I see the same mistakes that he was making as a rookie. I see the same mistakes that he was making in his final year in college. He just doesn't have the strength at the point of attack. Um, he he's doesn't have the best quickness or the lateral agility that you want. And that showed multiple times when they're trying to run some stretch runs under um, Pat Shermer last year, where, you know, he was literally tripping up Dalton Reisner because he couldn't stay up in front of his block and keep that good, keep the spacing that you want to keep. Like it was just consistent issues. So he's got to take drastic steps. If he's going to be a starter, he's got to take these huge steps forward as a, as a player. Um, and honestly, I'm just not sure he can. Um, I hope that Graham Glasgow is able to win the starting job, but it really sounds like that his height is going to be a major factor there. Plus, the plus, I mean, he's always been more comfortable at guard, and he hasn't snapped a football in a long time. Um, yeah, twenty eighteen, I think, was the last time that he snapped a football yeah. as as a as a starter in a game. And yeah. 
with a new offense, I mean, now would be the time to make change. New offense, new quarterback, like you can build the chemistry back up. Like now would be a good time, but how much does he want it? How much does he want to be stay at guard? Like th- those things, they're not the most important question, but they do matter. You don't want to put an offensive lineman somewhere they're not comfortable at. That leads to injuries. Um, Jeff Schwartz can tell you all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, as can multiple offensive linemen. So, um, I, I want to grab this really fast because we're on on the uh, um, on the subject here. It was, a, it was a point that I wanted to try to make there, as far as Lloyd Cushenberry potentially being on this roster, and I, I think that. Jody actually has it right. The fact that he is the only one snapping to Russell Wilson at OTAs and at Wilson uh, Wilson's complex in San Diego is a good sign that he is starting. I don't know that necessarily it's a good sign that he is starting. It, it, I Graham Glasgow was out with that. an injury. That's the, the, a big point there. But that <laughs> goes into the conversation I want to have about Lloyd Cushenberry versus Luke Wattenberg. If nothing else, Lloyd Cushenberry has experience at the NFL level. Luke Wattenberg has a lot of issues coming out of Washington, lower round pick. He's got to just acclimate to the NFL game. There was some play strength issues with him for sure. You already have those with Lloyd Cushenberry, but at least he might have a better understanding of how guys work in front of him, of how the offense could potentially be shaped up, line calls at the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. And another thing that I think might help Lloyd Cushenberry this year is the fact that he does have Russell Wilson underneath him. Like you've got an experienced quarterback that does a really good job identifying stuff at the line of scrimmage, helping him out at at the line of scrimmage. Because even last year with Teddy Bridgewater, you would notice more often than not, it was either Lloyd Cushenberry or Dalton Reisner making line calls at the line of scrimmage. Like they didn't check out, adjust their protections and stuff like that. Russell Wilson does a really good job of that. So that might be one of the big things that helps Lloyd Cushenberry. I'm speculating here, obviously, but I I think that there's a case to be made for him to be a starter and to see that kind of boom potential. If you might, if you will for here, I want to go back to something that you had said. Well, I want to push back back real quick on that because you mentioned the experience and everything like that. So you're keeping nine, 10 offensive linemen on there and you got to come down to Graham Glasgow as your starter at center. um, And you're down to Cushenberry or Wattenberg. Like I get the understanding of a Cushenberry has got experience and all that stuff like that, but you know what? That experience can also come in handy, you know, getting another draft pick when you have so yes. few draft picks. So that's that's why is right. the aspect that you're going to actually possibly be able to get something in return for Cushenberry. That's the only reason why I won't I won't say 100 he makes this roster. Right. I want to go back to something you had said about him though, in terms of running the stretch plays that Shermer did call the last part of the, the during the last part of the season. Um, to me, I. I I see where you're coming from as far as him tripping everything up and not playing with that upper body play strength. That's the biggest issue to me is he doesn't have the play strength to be able to do that. The athleticism though, he has the requisite athleticism to move around. I, at least in my opinion, you very clearly disagree. Go ahead and uh, elaborate on that. I mean, so the easiest way to check, check that is looking at, you know, the different testing that they do stuff that actually kind of plays into those aspects. That's why they do those testings. Cushenberry didn't test test that well, like period. Okay. He, he doesn't have it. He's never shown it on tape, even going back to college. And when he was coming into the NFL, like a lot of the big concerns, Lance Zierlein, Dane Brugler, a lot of guys, myself, were questioning, it's does he have really the good. lateral agility, the lateral movement skills to be effective in a wide zone because, right. or, an, or an outside zone scheme because he doesn't have the strength to hold up on the inside in power gap concepts. Mm-hmm. So it, it was this issue of where does he actually, what scheme does he actually fit best in because he's missing the key, attri- uh, key attributes that's needed for either one. Yeah, that that's a fair point. I just, I remember watching Lloyd Cushenberry and seeing him going forward. The lateral part of it is what, is what just holds me up because him moving forward, when he gets up to the second level, he does a really good job. He attacks, he latches on, he does a great job in that aspect. So you're looking more inside zone capabilities there, but if you're getting head up on it with a nose tackle, which is what they tried to do, double A gap pressure and Lloyd Cushenberry fell on his ass. Literally, it was terrible. Uh, Andrew Baker jumping in here. What's the training camp battle you're going to mo- uh, most look at? Probably this interior offensive line, to be quite honest, and the interior of the defensive line. I think that those are the two biggest question marks on this offense, on this team. Um, who plays left guard? Is it Dalton Reisner or is it Tom Compton? Uh, who wins the starting center position? We just kind of broke that down. Is Quinn Miners going to be the starting right guard? It, like, is that the way it's penciled in right now, or do we see 
Miners potentially move inside to play center. Like there's so many different ways to look at this interior offensive line, I think is the biggest one right tackle. I think you're going to see Billy Turner run away with that competition, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just think that that's the way it's going to play out. So I'm not really interested in that for the most part, who is the three guys on the interior is the one thing I'm going to look at the most, Eric. Um, well, I mean the defensive line, like yeah. who, how, how are they actually lining up? Who's being used where, what kind of situations like that? That's it for me is who is that third defensive line? Who's it going to be? Um, offensive line is a close second for it for me because it is with the trade rumors coming around of Dalton Reisner during the draft. Um, with potential of Lloyd Cushenberry being moved, Quinn Miners really does seem like he's cemented in that right guard. Then you're having conversations about right tackle, Calvin Anderson, Billy Turner, Billy Turner's and Tom Compton are also being mentioned at left guard. Like you have plenty of options. You also have Graham Glasgow. Um, Jody Moncrief came in with their, their nine of Bulls, Moody, Cushenberry, Miners, Turner as their starters. Um, Moody has the chance to be the starter at left guard. I think he's got to surpass Tom Compton and Graham Glasgow, though, to get there. Um, or Billy Turner, whichever one. Um, I mean, if, if so, if Calvin Anderson wins right tackle, then it's both Billy Turner and Tom Compton. If it's Billy Turner, then it's just yeah. Tom Compton. So, um, uh, Charlie came in with a some Facebook stars. Thank you, Charlie. We appreciate Thanks, that. Charlie. Um, and then Phil McLaughlin also comes in with some stars. We appreciate that as well, Phil. Um, and thank you for your continued support. It's great to see you in here as we've been seeing you regularly for the last few weeks. Yeah, man. It's, um, it's always great to see some people jumping in here and throwing some stars around. Phil, you've been one of the most constant supporters over the last about two months now. So thank you for that, Phil. Um, EJ says, I don't see Moody as a full-time starter. Maybe be a backup guard that comes in and starts for a game, but he struggles in pass and We need to protect Wilson. This is the bigger reason why I'm concerned about Moody being the starter and why I don't think he ends up the starter. There's never been really much of a question about what he can do as a run defender. It's great to see him that or hear that he's being effective with the lateral movement skills that are and the agility that's needed for this outside zone scheme. That was a concern I had with it. But the biggest concern is and always will be what he does in pass protection. In every game that he started, he's gotten completely owned in pass protection. Everybody likes to point to the uh, Carolina Panthers game his rookie season. And how great he did there. That was only as a run defender. He damn near cost them for the game because he couldn't hold up in pass protection. Mm-hmm. He allowed a quick pressure inside on um, Drew Locke, who had to really throw the ball away and almost got it intercepted. Fortunately, it didn't. That is where he has to grow. And all the comments, every conversation I've had has been along the lines of what he has been showing as a run defender. And it's been complete crickets as a pass and pass protection. And that speaks loudly to me because if he's showing up in pass protection, which is one of the biggest concerns he has, they'd be talking about it. They'd be mentioning, they'd be talking about how good he's looking. They're not Um, Tom Compton. He's got some issues in pass protection as well. Not as severe as, as um, Natani Moody. And he's proven to be an outstanding run defender. He was the second best run or run blocker, second best run blocker last year behind his former teammate and Trent Williams. For the offensive tackle. So there's no doubt that Tom Compton has. So I think that you have a higher ceiling in run blocking with Tom Compton and a higher floor in pass protection with Tom Compton than you do Moody. Yeah. Moody has a chance this season, though. I, I want to come back to this comment from Jody Moncrief, and I, 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 I'm hoping that he has this in the order of his starters with Bulls, Moody, Cushenberry, Miners, and Turner as his, uh, as his top five guys, with Compton being the sixth guy there. Moody with the pass protection issues and then Cushenberry, man, we saw that so many times where Cushenberry would snap the ball and then be just pushed backwards so fast in pass protection. Those two guys lined up next to each other on this offensive line. You might as well just double a gap blitz all you can and bring an extra blitz, uh, an extra pass rusher uh, as a, as a three technique or a four eye technique, because if you do that, the whole right or the whole left side of the interior offensive line is devastated. Like there's no chance for Russell Wilson to throw the ball there. You've got to get some better pass protection there. I think Reisner is a, a much better pass protector than Moody is. He fits the scheme better. And I think that for everything that we've heard of Natani Moody in, in terms of his ability to run his, his ability in, uh, in, in this scheme um, as a run blocker and everything like that. I think that that might be the trade piece that they're trying to lot out there. We've got a guy that, 
was potentially a uh, a second round pick that fell because of injury. He's finally fully healthy. He doesn't quite fit what we're doing here. We're going to just prop this guy up on a pedestal, throw him out there in, in some preseason games early in training camp and see what maybe actually happens because there might be a trade piece there for Natani Moody. You may not get nothing more than a conditional sixth round pick or a seventh round pick, something like that. That's the guy I think you need to focus on as far as the trade piece goes because Dalton Reisner back in his rookie season under Rich Scangarello running that wide zone scheme, he was phenomenal as a rookie. Like he played so much better under Scangarello than he did on the in the gap scheme and the inside zone stuff that Pat Shermer wanted to do. I think Reisner is on par for a resurgence to, to come out. And that may be the bigger boomer bust player than even Lloyd Cushenberry because I'm so down on Lloyd Cushenberry, it's not even funny. So speaking of Dalton Reiser, Jody also came in and says, but it was worse with Reisner in regards to Moody. It really wasn't. Um, talking about an offensive lineman who kind of re um, rebounded towards the end of last season, Dalton Reisner did. Mm-hmm. His week 13 before he got hurt against, or week 12 before he got hurt against the Los Angeles Chargers, he was playing outstanding football. It was probably up there on par with what we got consistently from him as a rookie. And then he came, he got hurt, missed the rest of the game, came back week 13, 14, 15, 16. And those were games that were better than what he showed as a rook, as a rookie. Those were outstanding games from Dalton Reiser, some of his best football in his career. And he kind of fell back a little bit against the Raiders in week 16 um, as, as a run blocker. But he was still extremely strong as a pass protector. Like his pass protection has... Last year, even when he was struggling, it was still much better than what we got out of Natani Moody at any point. It was still much better than what we got out of Lloyd Cushenberry at any point. Um, it, it, it was rough. I mean, his pass protection last year was among the best the Broncos got out of anybody on their offensive line, and that was with that is considered factoring in his struggles. Um, Dalton Risen really bounced back. Towards the end of the season, they really moved to a more outside zone-based scheme. And that was reflected in his play. I mean, it's very obvious that he wasn't comfortable with the inside zone um, scheme and power gap concepts that the um, that Pat Shermer ran, uh, threw out there. Um, and from what I've heard is that he was kind of vocal about it behind the scenes as well, is that he didn't like that. And so they changed things up a little bit and it worked. And Dalton Reisner rebounded, had a good year. And I think that it's a good, I think that's a good reason why with the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent after this year as to why you push him out on the trade market. But I don't, I I would expect Reisner or Moody to be traded sometime during training camp. No, I I'm, I'm with you on that one. I want to piggyback another good question off of you. It's a, it's a poll question that Ryan Edwards on uh, KOA at Broncos country tonight posted on his Twitter account the other day. Um, It was speaking in regards to, um, what like what's more important to the offense's success for for Russell Wilson and whatnot? Is it the wide receivers? Is it the the running backs, offensive line, or play calling? And I want to so the two options that won the poll. I will say one quotations was offensive line. Obviously, the offensive line play was the most important thing according to Broncos Country. I voted for play calling, and the reason why I say that is because oftentimes what you can do with your play calling is mask the deficiencies of your players around you by calling plays that suit your strengths. This conversation with Dalton Reisner goes into that question. They were running power gap and and duo ISO stuff like that, and then the inside zone stuff that Dalton Reisner didn't really mesh with as far as his skill set and stuff. Obviously, we saw it with Jerry Judy, you know, um, with the jet sweeps and stuff like that. Play calling, to me, is a very important aspect of offensive success on uh, in football. Eric, I want your opinion on this. What is more important to you in terms of success for offensive football? Is it play calling or is it offensive line play? Outside of quarterback, obviously outside of quarterback. What's more important? Oh, play calling. Like, because play calling, I mean, if you're the play caller, you should know the strengths and weaknesses of everybody on your offense, and you should be able to call the plays to highlight their strengths and hide their weaknesses. I mean, it was kind of what you were saying. And that was one of the biggest issues Denver has had from their offensive coordinators over the last seven years. Like they haven't had, they haven't had anybody that could do that effectively enough offensive line play. I mean, yeah, it's great. You got to have it, but if you're calling plays that can hide the issues there, like that's fine. Like it's still going to be problematic at times, but it's, 
there's so much else going on when it comes to the offensive line play. And you do you have to factor in the quarterback, maybe the the running back, as we saw multiple times last year with Devontae Williams, breaks some tackles and makes a big run. I mean, that could be an issue of the offensive line. It could be an issue of the play calling. So I, I just the general the general aspect of it is is when you're able to hide the weaknesses and play to your strengths as a play caller, like your offense is going to be somewhat effective. You can have an effective offense without a good offensive line. You can have a bad offense with a great offensive line. Look at the Browns for years. Mm-hmm. There's just so much more you can hide and show as a play caller than you can with your offensive line play. Well, look at what happened last season in general with the with the Cincinnati Bengals. They had one of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen make it to the Super Bowl because uh, Zach Taylor and that offense, Joe Burrow was phenomenal, let's be honest here, and so was Jamar Chase. But Zach Taylor and his play calling and sequencing allowed the Bengals to be a lot better, and they they created a lot of explosive plays based on what they were doing with the play calls. They they made it through a game in which Joe Burrow got sacked nine times against the Tennessee Titans, and they were in line to win the Super Bowl against Aaron Donald and Von freaking Miller. Did it come down crashing on top of their heads? Absolutely. Aaron Donald closed out the game with a huge critical sack. However, if Joe Burrow has the ability to sidestep one step and release the football, Jamar Chase was wide open on the post for a touchdown. It would have been lights out game over the Bengals win. The play calling there was just amazing to get the Bengals even to be there. Another example is, and guys, I I don't typically promote a whole bunch of people's work and whatnot, but if you guys have time over the weekend or even the next few days, I highly, highly, highly recommend you guys listen to the podcast on The Athletic. It's called Luck. It is a story of Andrew Luck. If you guys have heard it before, you, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, please go check it out. It's about six hours long. It's six episodes, about an hour apiece. And they go through the entire story of Andrew Luck from the time he was drafted through all the injuries he had in, in Indianapolis, the offensive coordinator, Bruce Arians and Chuck Pagano, the whole nine yards going through and explaining everything that went, that went into Andrew Luck retiring at the age of 29. There were two things that stood out. One was the play calling of Bruce Arians, who likes to run a lot of seven step drops and deep shot passing plays. And two was the offensive line because they couldn't hold up in in protection enough to give Andrew Luck enough time to throw those deep shot passing plays. They're intertwined a little bit here. You have to have the the guys that are capable of of playing at a high level, but also you have to understand that I have a crap offensive line in front of my quarterback. I can't call seven-step drop passing plays on every passing down. I have to figure out a way to work around, incorporate the running game, and play to my player's strengths. So it's a chicken and egg conversation here. Guys, please go check that out if you get the opportunity to. Again, it's uh, Zach Kiefer on the Athletic Podcast. It's called Luck. Please go check that out. It's a great conversation, which really feeds into the conversation we're having here tonight. Please check it out. Um, With that, Eric, uh, I think we're pretty much at the end of our rope here. We just hit the one hour on our feed. want to say thank you to everybody, uh, especially some of the people jumping in here late saying we did a great job. Dale Fleming, uh, big time, huge praise here saying great show, Lance, Eric, Scott, and Dylan, as always. Thank you for the fantastic discussions, Broncos country. I love that we have these discussions with no echo chamber. And Dale, thank you so much, man. Uh, Charlie Dominguez throwing some shade here. Says, uh, pretty sad I have nothing better to do on a Friday night than watch you guys. Uh, just joking. You guys are great. And Charlie, you're great for joining us, man. Well, uh, every- and, and on that note, isn't it pretty sad that we have nothing better to do on Friday night than to sit here? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was about we to say that We do. We do. Fortunately for me, though, it's not really Friday night. It's Friday afternoon. It's only five o'clock for me, so I still have all night for me. So it's it's only seven o'clock here. I got to go move some water and go. Get, yeah, but get you're out old. That means it's your bedtime. I'm not that old, man. Come on, I'm only older than me. Older than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, you're still the young the young child in the room, and we all know that. If you guys ever get the opportunity to check out our our uh, our uh, group chat with Nick and Carl and James Campbell, you would understand how much of a child that Eric actually is. It's, it's quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, with that guys, oh, EJ jumping in here. One last one, a great show, Lance and Eric have an amazing weekend Broncos country. Don't forget to smash the like button on your way out. Yes, absolutely. Guys, please on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch does not matter. Smash the like button. Got 76 eyes on Facebook, 23 uh, laughing, crying, 
caring emojis and a lot of hearts and stuff like that. Please, guys, smash that like button. It helps out more than you guys even know. Subscribe, guys, to Mile High Huddle on all those platforms because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, Eric, uh, I'm not going to run the rest of the uh, matters of business other than give our Twitter handles at SandersonMHH for me and at Eric Trickle, uh, at Scott, uh, Scout Kennedy for Scott behind the scenes. But, dude, any big plans for this weekend? Sleep. <laughs> and painting a boat. Painting Sleep a boat. And painting yes. a boat. That that's my plans for the weekend. Leave it without the context of what your what boat you're painting. Like sh- sh- please, and then throw some pictures up after you're done with it. I want to see that Eric's <laughs> painting a boat. It's awesome. By the way, I've seen I've seen it myself. Uh, it's very good stuff. But please leave it without the context. Uh, there's a car show tonight, uh, so I might go check that out here in town. And then tomorrow. Uh, there's a big community day, a big bunch of vendors come down. It's called Day at the Park. Um, there's a big hot air balloon rally, so we'll, I'll probably go get some pictures of that. We're going to go check that out tomorrow. Um, and then Sunday, it's uh, finish out my Damari Mathis film breakdown. I've got the the clips and stuff made up. Just got to hammer it out. So hopefully I get some of that done Sunday night, maybe Monday morning. Uh, we'll have a Damari Mathis breakdown, film breakdown on milehighhuddle.com. But with that, guys, you all stay safe, take care, have a great rest of your weekend. Don't drink and drive. And uh, as always, guys, before we get out of here, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.